You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrgs.nl. Now, let's get into the podcast. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And then in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, since it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying to him oh you of little faith why did you doubt and when they got into the boat the wind stopped and those in the boat worshipped him saying truly you are the son of God Amen This is a story about worship, and I will explain what I mean. So, thank you to our worship team. Good morning, everybody. God bless you. So good for us to worship God together in this place. We continue with our sermon series, Lessons from the Lake, a short sermon series from my own personal reflection over the last few months. And I think judging by the songs we have sung and uh, I've just read it, you've figured out what story we're busy with today, what lessons from the lake we will learn. Now, I want to, so I'm so aware that this story of Jesus and Peter walking on water is such a familiar story to us all. We've all heard hundreds of sermons, no doubt, on this story. So I want to come at this from a slightly different angle. I want to give us a wider context so that we can really understand what this story is actually about, what's going on here. And I believe then. Once we grab hold of this truth, it will be a key to unlocking the year 2024 for us, helping to grow and flourish in our lives. 
If we believe Jesus to be a good man, a teacher who did good things or who does good things, we will then honor and respect him as a good man who does good things, as we do all men who do good things. But if we believe that Jesus Christ is in fact the majestic creator God, majesty, king of all kings, son of God, God himself, well then that changes everything. It changes how I worship. It changes how I live my life. It changes what I do with my life, how I see my life, how I see the world around me, and how I see other people. If I come to see and believe Jesus as, verse 33, truly you are the Son of God. That changes everything. The key to flourishing in 2024. And so in order for us to understand this very familiar story that you have read and have heard preached so many times, we must understand really what Matthew is trying to do. Why is the story where it is? What is the point he's trying to make? What's he getting that? Is this just a story about two guys walking on water? Well, one and then one for a tiny little bit. What's Matthew's objective? What's his goal? If we understand that, we will read the story so differently. And I'm going to tell you what Matthew's goal is right from the get-go. And then we're going to unpack it. Here is the idea. The idea of the story, what Matthew wants us to get to is this. That what we believe about Jesus and who we believe Jesus to be changes everything and it determines how we respond to him. What we do, it shapes our actions. And as a consequence, determines how we worship him. How we give meaning to our lives and the lives of others. So his goal in telling and writing the story for us is this. He wants the readers, you and I, to come to believe in Jesus more deeply. As more than just a teacher or a rabbi, but as the son of God. You see, and when we believe more deeply, here's why it's important for him. Because what we believe shapes what we do. What we believe about Jesus helps shape our actions and who we believe him to really be will inform and shape our worship. How we worship him. 
So his goal is to get us to believe in Jesus more deeply and as a result, grow in our worship of him. So, okay. In order for us to understand the story, I need to go back a chapter. So we, I'm, I'm, I'm going to run through this because uh, we're going to get back to the story of Jesus and Peter on the water. But before I get there, I need to say a few other things because it will help unlock the story for us. It starts really in chapter 13. And when you read the story again, I want you to remember that you must read chapter 13 and 14 together. It's one block of scripture because Matthew is making a point. I've told you what his point is to get us to see Jesus. He reveals to us little bit by little bit some of the nature and character of Jesus. Do you see who he is? Do you see what he does? So that you and I might believe more deeply, recognize him as the son of God, and change how we live our lives, and change how we worship. Now to do that, he needs to start somewhere. And so he slowly, in chapter 13, he begins to build his case. And so chapter 13 starts with, towards the end, well, right at the beginning, chapter 13, Jesus tells eight parables about the kingdom of God. And ultimately what these parables lead to is, uh, we see this in the first parable, where he tells a story about a man sowing seeds and they four different types of soil. And so what we see happen is, they emerge for us, there's two clear categories of people, those who believe and those who do not believe. And then what Matthew does is he goes to show us two examples of each of these. Let me quickly show you so you get two categories of people really. In essence, Matthew wants us to understand through the telling of the story of the parables, you get people that don't believe and people that believe. Let me give you two examples of each, and that's what he does. So he says, well, people that don't believe, here are two examples. He gives the first one of Jesus' hometown. This is towards the end of chapter 13. He says, well, let me tell you about these people. They heard Jesus. They saw Jesus. And they saw what he did and, and, and what he said. But they chose not to believe and recognize him for who he really is. And that what they believed about him shaped their actions. Go and read the end of chapter 13. They fell into sin and chaos, it says. What they believe shaped how they live. So he used the example of his hometown. He said, let me give you another example of what unbelief or disbelief looks like. And then he used the example, this is the beginning of chapter 4, of Herod. He said, well, here's another guy who heard and saw but did not believe. And then he said, in fact, here's what we must recognize in the first part of chapter 14, is that what happened was his disbelief shaped his actions. What were his actions? Ultimately, his actions led to the execution of John the baptizer, and then ultimately the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And then he goes, well, let me show you now two examples. So I've showed you two examples of disbelief, his hometown, Herod. Now let me show you two examples of what belief looks like, what faith looks like. And here's what I'm going to do, Matthew says. He says, I'm going to give you these two examples, and in these examples, I'm going to reveal the nature and character of Jesus so that you get to see who Jesus is, 
what does he do so that you might believe more deeply that he is, in fact, truly the Son of God, and that will change your actions, change how you live, and shape your worship of him so that we will worship him in spirit and in truth, surrendering our all and finding our lives flourishing. And Matthew's very clever. So not only does he say, let me show you two examples of what faith looks like, he sets them in a, two, in, in a particular context. The first example, he says, I'm going to show you, I'm going to set the story in a context of need. This is the story of the feeding of the 5,000 that happens just before this one. So here it is. If you followers of Jesus are faced with a situation of need. Can I reveal to you some of the nature and character of Jesus so that when you are in your situation of need, you might come to believe him more deeply? Shape how you act in your situation in need and how you worship him in your situation of need. So he places this in context. The second example, which is this story we're looking at today, he sets it in a context of fear. And the wind being against me. And the storms of life and being battered by the waves. And so he says, here's what faith looks like in the face of fear. So I'm going to reveal to you in the story who Jesus is, what he does, what he's like, so that you might believe more deeply that will shape your actions. And even if you're faced with need or even if you're faced with fear or the wind against you, you will be able to believe that he's the son of God. And so when I have need and I believe that, when I am in fear and those storms of life against me, I believe that it changes everything. So what he's saying if you face need or you are in fear and being battered by life, if you believe Jesus as the Son of God, it will change everything for you. It will change how you see your need and your fear and the storm against you. Okay, so very quickly, let's look at the first example of the feeding of the 5,000. So this is kind of the middle bit of chapter 14 now, just before the story that we read. Oh boy, I'm going to run through it quickly. There's lots to be said. But the thing that we're meant to see here as he reveals the nature and character of Jesus, remember what was happening? Let me refresh our memory very quickly. Jesus had been busy with the crowd all day. He needed to just rest a little bit. He wanted to get away by himself, but the crowds found him. And as he's wanting to rest, he was confronted by all these thousands of people needing whether it was healing or whatever it might be. And Jesus wanted to rest, so the situation of need. And what Matthew says, he wants us to notice here, we are meant to see what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say, listen, take the crowd and send them away. I know you guys are in need, but I'm tired. I'm weary. I've been going all day. You guys go home, get a good night's rest, and then you come back tomorrow. Matthew wants us to notice what Jesus does. And in verse 14, he says, No, Jesus, even when confronted with shallow commitment, and let's be honest, with, a lar with, a, with this large crowd of 5,000, we are meant to think back about those parables about the soil. The crowd of 5,000 represent the second type of soil, which is, oh, we believe in Jesus one minute, and then when life gets tough, the next minute we abandon him quickly. And Matthew wants to see, even when Jesus is confronted with shallow commitment, verse 14, 
he is still moved with compassion. And that's the first thing he wants us to notice about the nature and character of Jesus. When you and I are needing whatever it might be, whatever your need might be that you represent this morning, friend, Matthew wants you to see the compassion of Jesus. Even if he's tired, even if you're not the perfect Christian, even if your best case scenario is shallow commitment at this stage. <laughs> Even if you get it wrong, still Jesus says to you, stay, I'm going to feed you. May you and I know the compassion of Jesus this year. And so he reveals this to us about Jesus. So that when you are in need, you must remember Jesus sees, he understands, he cares, and he is not going to turn you away. And we are meant to reflect on the compassion of Christ. And what's the goal? We are meant to believe more deeply. And that belief shapes how I live. The second thing quickly we're meant to notice in the story is not just the compassion of Jesus. But we mean to notice also the resources of Jesus. In other words, the sufficiency of Jesus. So when I'm in a situation of need, I mean to recognize in this story. So here's what happens. The, it's evening. The crowd's hungry. The disciples come and say, send the, you know, Jesus, we don't have food. Send them away. Uh, Jesus says, no, feed them. I want you to feed them. And they say, well, Jesus, we've only got five loaves and two fish. Expecting Jesus to say, okay, well, no, that changes everything. You're, you are right. They better go home because we're in trouble here. But he doesn't say that. The fact that there are only five loaves and two fish is precisely the point of the story. It is precisely the point that you and I are meant to know that following Jesus Saying yes to the call of Jesus, living life is not something that we can ever in a million years do in our own strength and from our own resources because we've only got five breads and two fish. We're never meant to do it in our own strength. We are meant to recognize our insufficiency and at the very same time recognize the sufficiency of Jesus. So I remember this year when I feel like I've only got two fish and a couple of pieces of bread. The resources of Jesus. The sufficiency of him meeting my every need. This, by the way, is the only miracle recorded by all four of the Gospels. John tells it in such a way, he, in 6 verse 35 of John, he says, not only is Jesus, does he give bread, but he is the bread of life. And so I meant to recognize, no matter what my need is today, that Jesus is sufficient to meet my most inner, deepest needs as a human being. To meet every need in me, but also to meet every need through me. You'll notice Jesus didn't hand out a single piece of bread. The disciples did it. He could easily have prayed. And as the crowd sat there, bread and fish could have just landed in their laps. But it did not. He used the disciples. So Jesus meets my needs in me, but he also meets needs through me. Okay, this is not even the story for today. <laughs> then Matthew moves on. Can you see what he's doing? So that the reader will believe more deeply. 
and come to discover the true nature and character of this rabbi, this teacher, this Jesus. He says, can I give you another example of what, what faith looks like? And this time he sets it in a context of not need, but of fear and storms and difficult times and feeling the wind is against me and I'm being battered by waves. And so in the story, he reveals several. We're only going to do four very quickly. I'm going to run through them quickly. He reveals certain truths about, can I show you in the storms of life who Jesus is and what he does? So that you might believe. And come to see who he is. So that when you face the storm, you will be able to have faith in the face of fear. So the first thing we notice in the story of Jesus and Peter walking on water is this. The first truth about Jesus is this. It's in verse 23. It's so simple, but it's so powerful. Matthew wants us to know that when you, are, when you and I are in the storm, Jesus is interceding for us. My goodness, that changes everything. You'll notice verse 23. It says, so they were out on the lake. What did Jesus do? He went by himself on his knees to pray. To pray for his disciples, to pray for you and me. I think, so, so I read this in the context of Romans chapter 8. Can I read you a couple of verses as I think about the story? Here they are in the midst of a storm, thunder and lightning. I don't know, it doesn't say that, but I'm imagining it. Thunder and lightning, the wind and the waves, and life is rough and life is terrible, and I just don't know what's going on here, and we don't know how we're going to get through the storm of life. And where's Jesus? Jesus is on his knees praying for his disciples out at sea. And, I, and I'm reminded of Romans 8. I'm going to read you a few verses. What then are we to say about these things, these storms? If God is for us, then who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything who can bring an accusation against God's elect? He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. And then that question we all know. Who then, what then can separate me from the love of God? Let me paraphrase. What storm of life can separate me from the love of God? And you know the response. Neither death nor life. You know. Okay. The point that Matthew wants us to get is that you and I, my beautiful friends, you and I can look at the trials and struggles of life differently when we know that the very Son of God, seated at the right hand of the Father in the moment of your storm, is busy praying for you. You see, if he's just a teacher, that doesn't really matter. But if he's the Son of God, that changes everything. You want to know how you can flourish in 2024? Well, hello. The second thing I think we mean to see in the story is verse 27. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. And here it is. So in verse 27, so now there's a storm. 
Jesus comes walking to them. So the, if you're taking notes, I'm in the storm of life. Second point, he is present with me. Okay, but here's the beautiful thing about it. So he comes walking to them. They scared. Who wouldn't be? This is not normal. It's a ghost. Jesus goes. He says, take courage. Don't be afraid. It is I. Oh, <laughs> Matthew writes us because you and I are meant to go when we read this. Hang on a minute. That sounds familiar. I've, I've heard this somewhere before. And we meant to think Exodus chapter 3, that moment when in a burning bush, no less, God reveals himself in a new and a beautiful way. Moses, I am, it is I. And so the words of Jesus in the midst of the storm echoes that idea of I am. Matthew writes that quite intentionally. What's the lesson? Well, the lesson is this, that Jesus not only stills the storms of life, but he uses the storms of life often as a pathway for a greater revelation of himself to you that you would not have apart from the storm. And so what happened here was Jesus revealed himself. And I think something happened when he said this word, it is I. Okay, you're not just a teacher. Truly, you are the son of God. And so here's what I take away. That God uses the storms of life to reveal his character and nature to me in a way that I would never know apart from the storm. When I'm faced with difficult times of life, and I believe more deeply. I come to learn and see God in ways that I've never before. The third thing is in verse 28. And for your sake of your notes, it is Jesus is my strength in the storm. This is an interesting bit of scripture. You see, it was when he recognized Jesus and recognized him as the son of God, and he saw Jesus out on the water, it was then that Peter realized, well, hang on a minute. Since it's you, and since you are doing it, and since you are the son of God, well, then I can too. And so he found his strength to face the storm because of who Jesus is and in the strength of Jesus. And so we learn a very, very important lesson here for living the Christian life, for flourishing, for facing the storms of life. We learn a very important lesson. You see how comforting it is to know that when you and I face the trials that, and when we do not have the strength to face those trials, to know that Jesus does, he's out on the water, and because he's out on the water, I can be out on the water, and so I get to experience his strength when I have none, but it is dependent upon trusting in him. 
believing more deeply and trusting in him. As Peter found out. So Peter steps out. He sees the waves and he begins to sink. And then Jesus says these words. Oh, you of little faith. And here is a key lesson for us about faith and a pastoral caution. If we miss the point of the story, we can read this as what Jesus was saying. Listen, you did not have enough quantity. The measure of your faith, the volume of your faith, the quantity of your faith was not enough. You did not have enough, Peter. If you had enough during your storm, you would have been able to walk on water all the time. If you had enough. And so many of us grow to think that, Lord, if I just believe more, if I can just master more, have a greater measure, a greater quantity of faith, then you will heal me, then you will provide me with my need, then you will still the storm in me. I, the, the reason I'm still struggling is because I don't have enough faith. Oh, you of little faith. But we missed the point completely because Jesus is not at all talking about the volume, the measure, the quantity of Peter's faith. The lesson you and I meant to see here that what matters in, in living life and following Jesus and facing storms is never the measure of our faith. It is, in fact, the object of our faith. Peter's faith was little because he took his eyes off of Jesus. The object of his faith. And the point is clear then for us. Your faith is strong only when the object of your faith is strong. Last one. <laughs> oh boy, you see, this is what happens if I don't preach for two months. Okay, but can I just wait? So, right. So my standard sermon, if I know I'm going to finish in about 30 minutes, right, is about five type pages long. This is just some information for you, right? Five pages. If it's more than that, then I know, listen, you're in trouble. This sermon, 14 pages. <laughs> oh, boy. The fourth thing we are meant to see here. And it's almost as a, as a little footnote. As Matthew reveals who Jesus is and what he does. So that I can believe more deeply and specifically as to the true nature and character of who he is. So that my actions and my, lives, and my life will be different. And I will worship differently is this. In verse 32, and as they got into the boat, the storm died down. And Matthew wants us to know that nothing, no one has the power to calm a storm except the Son of God. If I believe Jesus to be not just a teacher, but the son of God, it changes everything because now it's possible for me to have peace. Now it is in fact possible for the storm to die down. 
it changes everything. He is the Son of God. And then we come to this climax. You see, he started in chapter 13. Let me tell you about two kinds of people. I'm going to give you two examples of each. And then he brings it all to verse 33, this climax where, all, where everybody in the boat saw the nature and character. And they believed more deeply. And they bowed the knee with this exclamation. What did they say? Truly, you are the Son of God. It is the first time that they declare Jesus in this way. Up until that point, interestingly enough, the Father had referred to Jesus as the Son. That was in chapter 3, verse 17. The demons had recognized the true nature of Jesus as the Son of God. That was in chapter 8. But here we have for the first time where his followers say, Ah. Truly, you are the Son of God. And we see a relationship between what we believe and what we do. Between what we believe and how we worship. And so, who is Jesus to you? Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.